Let's pray. Father, sometimes you can get in the routine of things and forget that um, we're actually talking to you, that you're listening to us, that you're even in our presence. So I thank you for being in our presence today. Thank you for loving us and pursuing us. I ask that, that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see. Father, hearts postured before you with fertile soil. Father, minds to comprehend your word. And feet that want to run zealously with obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. Exodus 40. Thank you, Pastor Ron. Thank you, Pastor Bart, for the past couple weeks. Um, teaching, sharing, encouraging. Exodus 40. How many of you guys are interested or actually excited about Exodus being over? Raise your hands. We're a participating church. How many hands? Anyone excited? They're like, preach. You know, what's interesting is we are a culture that doesn't have um, discipline to be focused on one thing for a long time. So, so change is really important, isn't it? So when we talk about we've taken like almost a half a year, if not more, you know, time-wise, because we took a break during Christmas, and then we took a break uh, at the beginning of the year, it feels like we've been in Exodus for a very long time, which we have been 40 years, 40 weeks. It hasn't been that long. But the idea of it just makes us anxious. It feels like, are we there yet, right? Anyone had that during, during the series? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Well, for me, I probably haven't had that because there's been so much life that I've learned from Exodus, so many things that apply to this culture today and uh, my life. So, yeah, it's over, and we'll continue on. We're going to get into the summer soapbox, and then we're going to do Exodus backwards, um, starting in the fall. So, um, and God said, you must stay at this church. <laughs> Just plain. All right. So, uh, Exodus 40, here we are. When I think of Exodus, when I think of um, my life, one of the things that I want to do is I want to say yes to everything that God asks of me. That's my true heart. That God, if you ask something of me, yes, I'll do it. And the more that I go through Exodus, I start to discover that things within my heart prevent me as the flesh in me probably says yes to like one out of ten. I don't know. I mean, how many things is God asking me to do today? I'm not completely sure. But there's this piece that's rebellious. There's this piece that wants to do things my way or uh, when I want it how I want it, if I want it. It's just all about me. So the past year, what I've discovered is the world still revolves around me. And you discover that when you start to pray for other people. So have you ever prayed for someone and you start to say, God, I pray that you would fix this person? Or when you pray for someone and you start to pray and you say, God, will you make this better in this person's life? And what I started to realize is, is when I pray for people that way, what I've actually done is position myself in that person's life to think that I know what's best for them. 
Now, I actually do know what's best for individuals, and what I do know that's best for individuals is that they live and they walk in the presence and submission of Jesus Christ, that we intimately walk in his presence. But I started to discover as we go through Exodus that it's like, man, my prayer sometimes can be about people like in me thinking that I can fix them rather than just asking God to do his work in them. And I started to realize the world revolves around me. Exodus has revealed to me that the world revolves around me. I mean, there's been hundreds of things that it's challenged me in. But the main thing I want to do is say yes to God. Like Exodus, you know, you could preach it hundreds of different ways. But maybe if... if um, if you summarized it, you could maybe say the power of obedience or what a yes to God can do. So what can your yes to God do in your life today? And um, I guess we'd just, just get into it. So if you have your Bibles, Exodus 40, verse 1 and 2. Then the Lord said to Moses, set up the tabernacle. The tent of meeting on the first day of the first month. So, this is actually indicating the first day of the first month is basically the anniversary of when God delivered his people out of Egypt. So, on the first day of the first month, the indication like, hey, look, th this is the first day of basically starting the second year. So, Imagine being alive back then and being able to think about all that God has done in one year. You think of like pillars of fire and clouds and seas parting and blood and water and the, the Passover, right? You think of an um, even just relatively close to that, a baby, you know, within the past several years, a baby down a river, like all these crazy things that this generation of people have seen, but all that they've seen within a year of being delivered. The power of God at work in their life within a year. So I don't want to stick here too long today, but what I, what I do want to challenge us in is this. What's taken place in your life in the past year? 365 days ago today. What has God done in your life? What has God done in your life? What have you learned? Where have you seen him faithful? Think about that for a second. Where have you seen God faithful the past year? Where where, um, where have you learned? See, the unfortunate state that many Christians live in is that they never grow past their initial place of salvation. You realize that? Like, you get born again, and you never really grow from there. That's it. You get born again, and you just kind of stay there. Sometimes you'll volunteer at the church for a little bit. Sometimes you'll, you'll give a little bit of money. Sometimes you'll offer, um, offer your services. Sometimes you'll, you'll grab your Bible, and this will be your, your, your Bible reading. 
And you use it as, like, that's what you're going to read today. You grab your Bible, and look, I've been there, so I'm not uh, condemning you at all. What I'm calling you to is, a year from now, I want you to be at a completely different place with God. I've been there, but, but what, sometimes what we do is because we never grow past being born again is we open up our Bibles, and then wherever it lands, we feel like that's the magic trick. And that that's what God's going to use to speak to us that day. And here's what I, what I will say is God has spoken to many people that way. And God will continually speak to people that way. But God does ask that each of us will be disciplined to pursue him in such a way that it's just not random flip. Right? What have you done? And where have you seen God move the past year to help you grow past this place of simply just being born again. Some people have encounters but never progress. Some people are born again but never truly pursue a deeper relationship with God. Paul talks about Christians who should be uh, consuming spiritual meat, right? But what, what does he say? Y'all ain't even ready for the meat. All you need is milk. Get that boy some milk, Nadine. All you, see like, Paul's saying, look, you should be, you should have progressed so much further than what you did. You should be at a completely different spiritual state, but all you're doing, or all you're ready for is spiritual milk. You're just a babe. See, what I don't want this church to do, and what I don't want to be as an individual, and what I don't want for you as individuals and your families and our community to do is just get saved and then remain there. Because you know what, if you just get saved, I feel like you miss out on the best part of, um, of Jesus. And that's intimately knowing him. Like you can get saved and stay there. Or wait, I, I actually wrestle with that. Because when I was saved, I couldn't stay where I was. When I was saved, something changed inside of me that it wasn't out of works, but it was out of this sense of renewal within me that I had to love people, that I have to forgive people, that I have to be gracious into something that I can't control. Now, I don't always do it right, but God always brings me back. That anchor in my life, Jesus Christ always brings me back to the center and says, forgive that person. Tell Macy you're sorry. Oh boy, I'm a preach. Seems like every other day. Thank you for being gracious and being anchored, Macy. I don't just want to look at my past year and say, I didn't progress. And you know why we usually don't progress is because there's, there's this fake sense of I need to become the best teacher that there is or I need to become the best Christian that there is. And what we see is we actually see the deficit of how far we fall short. And what we say is, I don't know the Bible, so because I don't know the Bible, I feel like I have to learn all of the Bible right now and then when I think of the Bible as all of the Bible right now, then I say, this is too much for me to handle. And then you have family problems, and then you have work problems, and then you have um, health problems, and then you have financial problems. And then, like if you're a Michigan fan, Michigan always loses. So it's like you have sports, sports problems, and if you like the Bengals or the Cavs, and these bandwagon Cleveland uh, 
Browns fans are all like, praise Jesus. But everything in your life seems to be a mess. So what you end up doing is you say this idea of becoming this, this Christian that I feel like I'm supposed to be, I can't live into it. But here's what I want to say, is imagine if you actually took three minutes every day for the next 365 days, how much more Bible you would know than what you did last year. Three minutes. That's it. That's all I'm asking. Imagine if you took three minutes to discover who God was for 365 days over the next year. You don't need, you don't, and then imagine that over five years, and then over 50 years. And, I, and I'll tell you this, if you read the Bible for three minutes for the next year, probably by about six months, you're going to be stuck in it for 20 minutes. Because you're going to say, God, like, look how good you are. Look at how you're stirring up life within me. Look at, how, look at how I'm seeing your character come to life in my life and how I'm starting to deal with situations a lot differently. Three minutes can change the rest of your eternity today if you would take that. But what you see is you see the whole Bible. And you know what? Good Christians... Like, Christians with good intentions, you don't just buy the simple Bible ones. You have to go out and you have to buy those thick ones, the ones that are going to teach you everything about being a Bible teacher. So you get the commentaries, you get the expository teaching ones. So your Bible is literally this thick, and you're like, there is no way I can read through this thing in a year. I'm giving you permission to read your Bible for three minutes a day and quit. Now, if God's cultivating something in you to read more, certainly do that. If you're reading 20 minutes a day and God's feeding you in that, do that. But imagine, you get my point, right? Progress, move forward, desire deeper things of God. Just don't get saved and stay there. I mean, you're probably saying you don't understand my life. Like, Joey, you don't even have kids yet. Macy was um, hanging out with young HD, RJ, and I'm like, where are you, woman? She's like taking care of a baby. And I'm like, other people's babies are now changing my life. Imagine what it's like to have a kid. So I have a proposition for you. I don't understand everyone's responsibilities in here. But I do understand your number one need. Your number one need is Jesus. To be humbly submitted to him. Um, to intimately walk with him, to be disciplined in the steps that you're taking, to love him, to submit to him. Will you do that with me? Will you take those steps? Again, just three minutes is all I'm asking for Bible reading. So here's what I want you to do. Over the next seven months, so from January 1, 2019, to December 31st, 2019, will you take these next seven months, um, eight, six months, seven months, whatever, will you take them and will you take notes at church? Next week, will you come in here with a journal that you can take notes at church? I'm asking you to do that because you want to know why? When we get to January 1, 2020, and the world's going to end then, because it's 2020, you know, like, 
we're basically like third earth because it ended in uh, 2000 and then 2012 it ended and now 2020, everything's going to implode. Um, mark my words. Local pastor says the world's ending in 2020. Will you take notes for the next seven months? I'm asking you. I actually, how many of you guys are going to consider that next week to come in here and take notes? You want to know why? Because you want to know how you're progressing when it comes to God, don't you? Because when I ask that question, what has God done in your life the past year, some of you are questioning. Some of you are wondering where the answer prayers were. Some of you never asked anything specific enough of God to know that he answered it or not. But if you will come in here and you will take notes and you'll document what you're sensing, what you're feeling, what God's doing in your life, then you're going to be able to look back in time at need and say, but look how he was faithful. And look how he was faithful. And look how he provided. Will you take notes the next seven months? Will you journal throughout the week in that same notebook? What have you been praying about? Where have you seen God move? What scriptures have you read? And one sentence summary of that application. And you're saying, now wait a second, I thought I only needed three minutes. Well, I'm asking for two minutes additional. So five minutes total. Will you um, get involved at the church? Will you join a small group? Will you attend a class? Will you be discipled or make a disciple? Will you partner with a ministry within the church? And will you not wait for a leader to take the initiative to ask you? Or I'll ask you right now, to whom it may concern, I'm asking that you would engage this community so that you can discover who God is in your life. See, the best thing about serving for me is actually discovering who God's called me to be. There's something about it that brings life to me to feel like I'm a part of something that's bigger than myself. It's not just about serve me, but it's about how can I help see souls saved and people set free. And when you take time each day to listen to Christian music, to praise him, to have short conversations with God throughout the day. Because far too many Christians simply stay in the friend zone of God, but never progress to know him intimately. Did you guys ever have that friend? It was like, you might, you might have wanted to date them, but they always had you in that zone that you could never be any better than a friend. Anyone ever feel like that? No one's ever had that relationship. Finally, thank you. We don't want to just be in that friend zone with God, do we? We want to intimately know him. My rant about that is done. I want us to know how we progressed. Amen? Will you guys progress with me and document? So now we're going to see Moses have a lot of things that God says to him. And if a woman was uh, preaching this, I think it would look a lot 
different because a woman would be like, oh, just daily chores. Like, okay, God asked Moses to do daily chores, but a man's up here like, look at all these things that God asked Moses to do. Like, for a woman, it's just like sweeping and dusting and doing dishes. Just simple tasks. Am I digging a hole yet? (laughs) Simple tasks of dishes and all those things. Mopping and doing laundry. Easy tasks. God's going to ask Moses just to set up the tabernacle. Right? So verse 2. Set up the tabernacle in the tent of meeting on the first day of the first month. Place the Ark of the Covenant Law in it and shield the Ark with the curtain. Bring in the table and set out what belongs on it. Then bring in the lampstand and set up, uh, set up its lamps. Place the gold altar of incense in front of the Ark of the Covenant Law and put the curtain at the entrance of the tabernacle. Just put this here, do this, simple stuff. Stuff. Place the altar of burnt offering in front of the entrance to the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. Place the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. Set up the courtyard around it and put the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard. And I don't know about you, but whenever Macy gives me a honey to-do list, it does feel this specific. Like, do it this way. Swipe from the right to the left. And then come back left, left, right. (laughs) She's not that way. I'm just playing. But God's being specific. Right, left, left, right. With He's being specific with Moses here. Take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and everything on it. Consecrate it and all its furnishings and it will be holy. Then anoint the altar of burnt offering. And it's in all of its utensils. Consecrate the altar, and it will be the most, and it will be most holy. Anoint the basin and its stand and consecrate them. Bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance to the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Then dress Aaron in the sacred garments, anoint him and consecrate him so he may serve me as priest. Bring his sons and dress them in the tunics. Anoint them just as you anointed their father, so they may serve as priests. Their anointing will be to the priesthood that they will continue throughout their generations. Verse 16. Moses did everything just as the Lord commanded. Moses did everything just as the Lord commanded. My heart's cry is that one day, if God were to write about me, or when I get to heaven, he's going to say, and Joey did just as I commanded. And MCF did just as I commanded. Like, we're so distracted that we forget about that. We're so distracted that how many of us are even getting these um, specific step-by-step lists from God. Like, we're distracted by everything. And we forget that God has something very specific for us. 
And Moses did everything as God commanded. Here we see God telling Moses what he's supposed to do, and guess what he did? He did it. It was done. Moses did everything just as God asked. We make things so complicated, period. We do. Like Pizza Hut or Domino's, right? It gets complicated. Los Mariachis or La Palma. And then like the argument there is like, well, Los Mariachis is better, and, but La Palma's closer, right? And you, you just make it so complicated where it's like, Mexican food is Mexican food and it's going to be good. So you just pick. Make it easy. Like Kroger chocolate milk or Snyder's chocolate milk, whatever it is. Like, it's easy. Kroger's chocolate milk wins all the time. I agree. So, <laughs> preach. It gets more complicated than that, though, doesn't it? We ask the questions, what am I going to do with my life? What does God want me to do for him? How can I serve him? Or we say, until God confirms to me three times, I'm not going to do anything. And then he confirms it three times, and then we ask for another three. See, the fact of the matter is... Um, the church is generally, the church in general serves God more in their overthinking about how they can serve him rather than they do in their hearts and action. You realize that? We serve God more in our thoughts than we do our hearts and our action. See, we overthink what we're supposed to do rather than actually doing something. And then we think that the thing we need to do is actually to do something for God other than just loving him. God doesn't need you or I to do anything for him. Nothing. You can't earn it. He doesn't need you to do anything. Now, what a privilege it is to partner with him. What a privilege it is that he would decide to work with humans. He doesn't need you to do anything. And if we keep on thinking that God needs us to do something for him, then we're going to keep on missing the main point. And the main point is to know him intimately. And when we know him intimately, we will say yes to him. Don't just think about doing it. What I mean is the church often overthinks things about saying yes to God, but very few seem to truly lay down whatever they have. We think about it, but few people seem to really be progressing from the salvation moment, right? Now just to clarify, laying down everything looks different for everybody. Some are called to sell everything that they have. We have a family within the church that has recently sold everything that they have to take a tent, an RV, and a motorcycle across America sharing the good news of Jesus Christ to the least of these. Sold everything that they had. Now, we're not all called to sell everything that we have in that manner. We are all called to be willing to let go of everything. Some are called to preach. Some are called to teach. Some are called to be God's representative in the workplace. Maybe you have what you would call a common job. 
God sending you there to be his best representative in that common job, right? We're all called to different things. It doesn't matter how big, how big it is, how small the task may appear to our worldly eyes. What matters is whether you and I say yes to God. You know that's the most important thing that you can do. It's not about what you can do for God, it's about, it's about what you say yes to. Does that make sense? It doesn't matter if you are Billy Graham or if you are a pastor that never gets discovered. What's important is that Billy said yes to God and that the pastor that never got discovered and only ministered to three people also said yes to God. Because what you will be um, judged on isn't um, how much you did, but it's what you said yes to that God asked you to say yes to. So maybe Billy was asked to say yes 10,000 times and he only said yes four times. We as Christians see all the fruit of Billy Graham and we say, what a great person. But little old Farmville pastor over here was asked five times to say yes to God. Go be with this family, they're in need. And he says, yes. And then he says, stay home with your wife. And he says, yes. And then he says, give away 200 bucks. And he says, yes. And then he says, spend 20 minutes with me a day for the rest of your life. And he says, yes. And then he says, I want you to fast once a month. And he says, yes. Five things. This guy over here, his talents, he was responsible for five. Billy Graham was responsible for 10,000, right? If Billy Graham only hit on 100 and this guy was at 100%, Am I, am, I, am I making this clear? Our yes is what's matter, what matters. It's not the fruit. Let God deal with the fruit, and we just deal with the yes. And we can't say that um, effectiveness is based upon just the, the, the fruit that we see on the outside. Effectiveness and what's appropriate is to respond to God and say yes. Amen? Your yes matters to God. I really, um, really have the sense lately that God is allowing the church, um, a kid that I'm a discipling, he's my neighbor, um, good kid, scholar, athlete, um, good situation in his life, um, really good situation. He just texted me a couple days ago. And he said, I got hit in the face playing baseball the other day. He plays for Springfield. He got hit in the face, and he thought he broke his nose. And um, he went to get an MRI to confirm that he had a broken nose, and they found a mass in his brain the size of a walnut. What? 18 years old, seems like everything's going right for him. And here's what I realized. Most families or every family seems to be going through something within this region. Maybe it's around the world. I haven't experienced such a heightened season of people going through something probably my whole entire life. People are going through stuff. Marriages, relationships, friendships, finances, jobs, emotion, depression, Anxiousness, worry, suicidal thoughts, loss, sickness. The list goes on. People are going through it, and no one's actually willing to even address it. 
If I just keep on acting like I'm okay, then I'll get through it. And the fact of the matter is, is God's allowing this generation, this very specific people to go through some junk because he wants to be number one again. And sometimes it takes hard things to reveal your heart. And what ended up happening is my friend gets hit in the face. And this is what I said to him. How good is God's grace that you would get hit in your moneymaker that then we would find a mass in your head? God's grace. He got hit in the face by God's grace. And God's going to walk with him every step of the way through this trying time. He's going to be with his parents. He's going to be with his brother He's going to, or his sisters. He's going to be with everyone there because God is good and he's faithful. But he doesn't get to discover God's faithfulness until he walks through something. And God is allowing the church to walk through something to know how faithful he is. God is faithful. But see, see the church, we've turned to our own devices We've tried to fix things ourselves. We want to do it ourselves. We become practical. So we say one plus one equals two, God, and two plus two equals four. Four times four equals 16. I got this under control. If we continue to live that way, we're going to miss the point because the point is to know Jesus and to walk in submission with him every step of the way and to faithfully believe in him and follow him in everything that you do. He's allowing us to face these times because he wants us to know that it isn't about our gift, it isn't about our calling, it isn't about our experience, it isn't about our position, it isn't about our opinion, it isn't even about how good or bad you were in your past. The fact of the matter is the greatest thing that you could do for God is give him everything that you have. And that's my plead with you today is to give him everything that you have. That blank name said yes to God in everything. See, your calling, <laughs> this is actually hard. Your calling isn't about you changing the world. Ron, I think you could, and Macy, you could, and Bart, you could. And this section certainly could. All these sections. Your calling isn't about you changing the world. And until you receive that and hear that, then things are going to continually be complicated, and you're probably headed in a different direction than you should. Do you want to know whose calling was to change the world? It was Jesus. It was Jesus' calling to change the world because he's the only one who could change the world. How did he change the world? He changed the world by dying on the cross and resurrecting three days later for the atonement of our sins, therefore living inside of us and then helping us go out and live out our gifting. We can partner with him as he changes the world. Your calling is about humbling yourself in desperation of who Jesus is. The greatest call that you have on your life is to intimately know him and be known by him. God doesn't need you to do anything for him. God doesn't need me to do anything for him. He chooses to, and he asks for our yes, but he doesn't need it. The tough season you are in doesn't mean that you are failing. 
The tough season that you are in doesn't mean that you're not called. Why? God doesn't measure fruit the same way that you do. We measure fruit based upon numbers, dollars, peoples, people, likes, shares, and good deeds. Saw someone post on Facebook the other day. Hopefully they're not watching. And they, they posted on there, I, I hope the person behind me appreciated the free meal. And I'm thinking like, okay. Like, was it really a good deed? But you started to see this culture of good deeds within people that they felt good about themselves for doing a good deed. Now, the fact of the matter is you can feel good about doing good things. But the good things aren't what save you. The good things aren't what make you walk in an intimate relationship with Jesus. What helps you walk in an intimate relationship with Jesus is you saying yes to God and following him in spite of it being scary. In spite of it hurting, my friend who now has this trying season of what's going to have to take place, he's only going to discover who God is as he walks through it. I believe that God is first concerned with you being in, a, in personal submission, love, trust, and obedience to him. That's what he's first concerned with. Even when you've been dealt some tough cards, you realize that there's many people in here that have uniquely different situations that I could never walk in those shoes. Ron has shoes that I can't walk in, and Ron, you can't walk in my shoes. And Macy, you have shoes that I walk in, and or that I can't walk in and like blah, 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 blah. You get it. And Krista, I can't walk in your shoes and you can't walk in mine. There's situations and things that have taken place in our life that we can't walk in those other people's shoes. So no matter the cards that you've been dealt, the number one thing that you need in your life is Jesus. You are fruitful when you say yes to God in spite of the cards you've been dealt. When it is tough, and now listen to this. When it is tough and it, when it is not as tough, it's never easy. Following God is never easy. Now you can create a love relationship with him, but it is never easy. The fruit that matters to God is your yes. Not the things outside of your yes. You can't control the things outside of your Yes. If God tells me to love on Garrett, and I love on Garrett, he says, hey, give him a $25 gift card and pray for him. I can't control what Garrett does outside of that, can I? If God asks me to give to the church and I give to the church, I can't control what happens outside of that. But you know what I can control is my yes and my submission to God. Your yes is the fruit that God cares about and he will handle the rest. Will you be okay with that? Will you be okay if you never see the fruit that you want to see? Trusting that God is the one who will bring it and he's bringing it even though you don't see it. Because why would I want to get debilitated without seeing the fruit to prevent me from doing what God wants me to do next? God gave Moses a list of simple things to do. And Moses did what he asked. Moses said yes. Moses was obedient. 
And it was God's job, which we're going to uh, figure out at the um, latter end of the chapter, or I guess now. Moses was obedient, and it was God's job to fill the tabernacle with his presence. Moses said yes to doing these chores around the house. Hanging pictures and dusting right, left, left, right. He did all these things. And then God was the one who controlled the rest. God brought his presence. It wasn't Moses who pulled down the presence. It wasn't Moses who did anything other than say yes. And what I want to say is your yes to God can change the world. Because God will use it. Moses had no control over God filling the tabernacle. God has given you and I both simple things to do. Moses, in chapter 40, it was to set up the tabernacle. But you realize many of us do not value the things that God's asked of us. We just don't. Like, simple things. And this is, where, this is where it goes back to. We keep on making everything so complicated, and we say, God, what do you want me to do with my life? And we keep on overlooking the very thing that he's told us to do, and we're missing it. See, those who do, do well with little, God's going to give more. And we have a generation of people that keep on saying, I want to look over here because this stuff seems so remedial that I don't care about it. So I want, I want to do more, and they keep on making everything so complicated. There are some things that God's asked of us. Simple things. And we just don't value them. Let's just keep it really simple. God asks that we seek him through his word. This is to this generation. This is on the world wide web. So this isn't just to those sitting in here. God asks us to seek him through his word. Right? How many of us are seeking him through his word? See, how many of us are not seeking him through his word, but then in the same thought say, I'm going to change the world? It's kind of strange, isn't it? Like, not reading, very baseline, like 101 course, and then we're like, I'm going to change the world, and, and I'm going to lead this, um, this movement, or I'm going to, not even reading See, we read, and then guess what God will do? He'll bring the revelation. He asks us to seek him in prayer. Seek him in prayer, just not pray that he fixes everything in our life. Because when we pray that he fixes everything in our life, guess what ends up happening? We're praying him out of our existence. Seek him in prayer. God, I want to know you more. God, help me pursue you with greater intimacy. Reveal yourself to me in greater ways. God, I love you. God, you mean the world to me. God, I know I'm rotten. When we pray, God brings the answers. When we pray for healing, we ask, God brings it. The two things that God asks this generation of people to do, they miss. Seek him in reading the word and seek him in prayer. Pray and study. My point is this, God wants your heart. He wants you to say yes to him. He wants you to trust him. Your yes to God matters, and your yes to God starts at a very baseline level. 
You say yes, and he will bring the fruit. I mean, look, just simple chores around the house that Moses did. This presence of God. Do you remember what this presence of God did? This was the presence of God that was on, uh, the Mount, on Mount Sinai, and people were fearful of it. You realize that? People were afraid of this presence because it was so strong. This is also the presence that, that was a pillar and fire, a pillar, a cloud and a pillar of fire that led, uh, led the, uh, God's people through the wilderness. This crazy, powerful thing came inside of a, a tabernacle because Moses said yes. Now what I don't want to say is that um, if you just start saying yes to God, that um, you'll live your best life. It's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you can just yes your way to your best life. What I am saying is your yes to God matters to him. And if he matters to you, you care about what matters to him. And your yes can bring transformation to this world. Amen? What can you say yes to? That's your first journal entry. That's your first prayer. That's your first three minutes. God, what do you want me to say yes to? Prayer. Study. Now, man, I have so much, but um, we'll finish next week. But I do want to, um, yeah, we'll finish this. Verse 12, we want to look at that real quick. Bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance to the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Then dress Aaron in the sacred garments and anoint him and consecrate him so that he may serve me as priest. Wait up. Hold up. This is the same Aaron, right? In Exodus 32, that committed three sins in the matter of 30 seconds of Bible reading. That was my 30 seconds of Bible reading. Five seconds for you guys. 30 seconds of Bible reading. Aaron commits three sins. What did he do? He built, he built an um, idol, which was a uh, golden calf. He lied about it, and then he worshipped it. Right? Three sins. Three things that God told him not to do. That was just simply eight chapters ago. Under a year ago. I mean, like, what was the time? God took this guy, and now he's willing to restore him. Isn't that amazing? A guy that just committed three sins, God wants to restore. He's restoring him back to a place of appearing leadership. All throughout the Bible, I see God restoring people back to a place of serving him. That's our God. A God who's willing to walk in a relationship with you today in spite of your mistakes. In spite of your mistakes yesterday, the day before, that you're going to make today or tomorrow, we have a God who wants to restore you back to a relationship with him.
Amen? We see that with Aaron right here. You want to know what, I, what I've experienced, though? It's a whole lot easier for Christians, the individual Christian, to receive the restoring power of God's grace for their own life than it is for them to extend the same restoring grace to another. I'm going to not read my notes for a minute so I can make it plain and clear. It's easier for me to be forgiven, be forgiven by God for myself than it is for me to allow another person to be forgiven by God and for me to forgive them as well. Does that make sense? Can anyone else relate? It's easy for me when I mess up to go to my knees and to repent and say, God, forgive me, and then me walk as a restored human being Set free, called, anointed, God's favorite, because the world revolves around me, right? To walk in that position, then it is for me to extend that same grace to another human being. And you know what I say to myself? I am messed up, right? Like, why would we not? This is kingdom work. Our Father in heaven has been setting this example since the beginning of time. And not just the New Testament, but the beginning of time, he's been setting this example of restoring people. Why is it that his creation of which he so loves will not do the same thing to a person to the right, to their left, or to the front, or to the back? Because there's nothing that you can do, there's nothing that you've done that God will not restore. Now, you still have to ask him to. You still have to have a pure heart and ask, uh, ask him to forgive you, right? You still have to repent. Why won't we forgive our brother or sister? If God is willing to do it, then you should do it too. Jesus set this example, right? I mean, you had the adulterer. Who of you, have not uh, who, of you who have not sinned cast the first stone? Quit being so mean to people. I've never read anywhere in Scripture where God denied reconciliation when people came with a sincere heart. If Aaron was in our church today, A.A. Ron is probably what his name would be. If he was in our church, we knew his mistakes. What would we do with him? What would you do with him? How would you deal with him? We often think that we need to punish people to get them to satisfy our, our needs, right? What God's doing here in Aaron's life is he's saying, come in here and wash him, clean him, purify him. And then we're going to restore him back to a place of being in leadership. And this is what I want to say for me personally. That's the way as a friend, as a leader, um, as a family member, I'm going to strive to always treat every single one of you. That I want to restore you. I don't want you to be in your mess. I want to restore you. Not take a high position of a God and try to judge you and demand of you something that I can't. Now look, don't hear that I'm being very passive about sin. Sin is a sin. 
Sin has consequences. Um, my perspective is that if sin, if sin disqualified you from leadership or sin disqualified you from mattering, then we wouldn't have any leaders and nobody would matter. David wouldn't have been a good leader. Paul wouldn't have been a great leader, right? There would have been numerous amounts of people in the Bible who wouldn't have been any kind of leaders. So I don't think sin disqualifies you. I would say this. If you are actively overcome by sin, those th- it, it, it's not the right season for you, right? Can you guys agree with that? Or are you going to put on your soapbox, can you clarify that last statement? You can do it and we will clarify it. No matter the mess you are in, no matter your past failures, no matter the life that you have been dealt, God wants to restore you. If anyone tells you something different or treats you differently, they are wrong. So today I leave you with a lot of information. We're going to progress within a year, right? And what we're going to document our progression of is this how many yeses we've said to God. God, I've said yes to you in all these areas. And in that, we're going to be gracious to the people around us. We're also going to be willing to walk in restoration, forgive ourselves, forgive others, and to be restored to a place that God desires for us. I want to ask you a couple questions. Why don't we just close our eyes? God seems to require a lot of us. It gets tough. It gets challenging. But what I want to ask is, in spite of the mess that's going on in this world today, in spite of the mess that's going on in your heart, in your mind, in your spirit, in spite of the things that you feel dominated by right now, that you feel like things are good in this moment, but, but once I leave church, it feels like all you know what's going to break loose. And maybe nothing's breaking loose right now and everything feels really good. You just don't feel like you're connecting with God. Are you willing to take this moment right now and say, God, I want to follow you full-heartedly again. I want to trust you. In this season of hurting, I want to trust you. I want to trust you because we have a trust problem. And the trust problem is that God is good. We, we actually, what we'll talk about next week, because I want to give you my summary of what Exodus has meant to me. We have a trust problem with the nature of God, and most of us aren't willing to admit it. Are you willing to trust God full-heartedly today with everything in your life, even when it doesn't turn out the way that you want it to? Do you want to be the first person that says yes to him? And what I want to ask is this. There's um, no music right now. I want it to matter to you. I don't want it to just be simple that you can just stand up. I want it to matter to you that, that, that there's a simple cost a simple cost of standing up with other believers. But if you just want to say yes to God and to trust him through these trying times, 
What I want to ask is that you stand up right now and you respond at the altar and you just have a conversation with him. Simple conversation with him about the things that are going on in your life. You don't need to wait. There's a cost with it. It's good. Guys, don't let, don't let the fear of standing up keep you from responding. I don't know if there's something light we could play. Usually like stuff without words. We're responding just to say, God, I want to say yes to you. preach this today that um, the fruit of how many people respond up here does not matter to me. My job is to say yes to God. God does the rest. And what I want to say is this, is God's actually stirring up in people's hearts and their spirits right now. He's stirring up that you should respond. He's stirring it up. And my job is to stir you up a little bit more and say, say yes to him right now. I don't get paid more if you respond. It's not about a bigger response. What it's about is me being obedient to saying, look, God's, God's stirring someone up that you've encountered his presence, that you've felt something you've never felt before, and that you have to um, get up here and say, God, I want to give you my yes. So if that's you, do it. just keep our eyes closed as you're out there praying, as you're out there thinking. Um, I just had a sense that uh, 
you know, maybe there's someone in the room who's never made Jesus the king over their life. That they never said, God, like, I believe that you died on the cross. You rose from the grave three days later for the atonement of my sins. I feel like, um, you know, you've maybe even encountered his presence this morning in a way that you never even knew was real and that it's God speaking to you about his love for you. But if it's you this morning, um, you know, I've asked the eyes are closed. I just ask that you would raise your hand. That if God's stirring something up in you. Father, in these times of trial, pray that you would protect us. No, Father, you are protecting us. I pray that we would just trust your protection. That you would guide us this week, that we would take three minutes to honor you. Jesus' name. Amen. And I just want to stay right where we are. I don't want to wrap up next week, so I want everyone to listen to me. So we can keep music, we can keep all that, just stay right where we are. Basically what I wanted to do is um, this email that I wrote earlier, like um, when a family from the church got a hold of me, this summed up what I went through in Exodus. And uh, this is my recap for next week. So you get out late today, but you don't have to deal with Exodus next week. It's kind of a, a trade. So I want to read this email to you again. I read it earlier on. Some of you may have heard it. Some of you didn't. When I received your original email several nights ago, I was laying in bed. And I usually do not check my emails at that hour. Upon reading it, it broke... It, um, Upon reading it, my heart broke, and Macy was trying to sleep. I needed to share with someone because it was heavy on me, but sharing with Macy during that moment would not have allowed her to sleep. So all I was capable of doing was to go to our Father in Heaven and ask for the well-being of your family. Sometimes it frustrates me that what I see as a nightmare, God sees as an opportunity. My per perspective falls short of his. Man, I saw that all throughout Exodus. What the people, what God's people, the Israelites saw, what they saw as a nightmare, God saw as an opportunity. And what I'm tired of is, is all these nightmares that we see in our lives, we see them as nightmares instead of trusting. See, it was the Israelites that just wouldn't trust and they wouldn't believe God and they wouldn't settle in. It was like they would see God prevail every single time and then it was like, what are you doing for me now? I don't like the nightmares. And I don't like that the nightmares that God sees as opportunities. You want to know why? Because I don't want to see the nightmares. I don't want the nightmares. 
But what God is asking is that through the nightmares and in the nightmares that we will trust him, that he is faithful and that he's lovable and that he's for us and that he's with us and he's not leaving. See, no matter the nightmare that you're facing right now, God is with you. No matter the nightmare your family's facing right now, God is with you. And God is leading you. And what I'm asking you to do is just to trust it. Trust it. It frustrates me that what I see as a nightmare, God sees as an opportunity. My perspective falls short of his. I continue and I say, my sister had leukemia when she was around the age of eight. She's now 32, married with five kids. When I recall this season with the family, I remember it being harder on my parents than it was my sister. God does something supernatural in those who are dealing with these types of situations. What I realized is there is nothing like God's faithfulness. Yet in some season, some seasons, my flesh wishes that I didn't require it. Though I'm thankful for his faithfulness, I can always be in seasons where I wish I could truly move from glory to glory. The more I experience life, I do not see glory to glory as the place that we are worldly abundant. Rather, when the worldly abundance isn't there, we have contentment and peace with who Jesus is in our lives. Things aren't going your way right now. Will you have contentment with who Jesus is? We have peace with who Jesus is in your life. I do know that God is teaching us the secret of contentment. Macy and I have thought a lot about that message that you shared when you were back last fall. As I was in prayer about it a couple months ago, I felt like God revealed to me that his secrets are rarely spoken, but they are learned through the situations that we see and know his faithfulness. We seem unable to really pinpoint the burdens during the season, though we greatly acknowledge that God is breaking us, calling us to more. God is breaking us, and he's calling us to more. Can you be okay with that? This is a season of renewal for Macy and I, and that's where I have to count the cost. Do I press in or do I run? See, my flesh would say, I would rather the enemies not be after me than for God having to part the Red Sea. I would rather not have to go to Pharaoh and God deliver his people without me. I would rather not be accused like Joseph to be challenged to keep my heart and remain faithful to what God has called me to. I would rather not have to build a small boat and place my three-month-old child in it by faith. I would rather not have to do these things. I would rather not have to face any of these situations. What I'm learn, learning and reminded of during this season is that my heart needs to be willing to serve God and trust Him because He is good. Not have a God that serves my plans. There is a longing in me that wants to think that this is the season of arrival for Macy and I. That there's going to be fruit upon fruit, laughs more than cries, peace more than fears, rest more than work. Sometimes feels as if God answered our prayers, then it would work him out of the equation. Someone once said, God will never allow us to live not in need of him. I love that our Father knows what's best for us, even when we do not like it. 
that he remains steadfast in the pursuit of revealing himself to us. And this is my summary of Exodus. This is what I see throughout the book of Exodus. This is what God is doing to and for his people. Now, I know this next part isn't in Exodus, but Abraham had a process. Joseph had a process. Moses had a process. David had a process. And our processes do not look the same as theirs. But what I do know is that God is in the middleness of the craziness of life, revealing who he is to us and the world. (laughs) We are working our way through the book of Exodus right now at church. I am challenged by the fact that God calls us to let go of the things that we love the most. And in some cases, he returns them. Though it's not an exodus, Abraham had to be willing to sacrifice Isaac. Moses had to be let go of by his mother. God let go of his only son. And God even asks that we let go of our own life. I'm in a season of asking God what he's asking me to let go of. In my heart, I need to surrender more. And by surrender, I guess I mean trust him with the things that I care about the most. I found myself playing it safe and leaning more towards what people expect of me rather than what God asks of me. We are in a good place because God is still working on us. Man, when I read through Exodus, I just see God's faithfulness and I see silly mistakes that I make. And I'm thinking like, Yeah, I always try to position myself in the hero role, but I'm not the hero. I'm the one who God continually chases after. And he pursues and he said, I'm in this mess with you. And even though you made a mistake, I'm in this mess with you. And even though I made a mistake again, he said, I'm in this mess with you and I'm revealing who I am to you. God is still working on you and I. God has a process for his people in scripture and he also has a process for you and I today. Will you trust him in that process? Will you trust him in the hard times? Will you trust him in the abundance? And will you expect that he will continually reveal who he is again and again and again and over and again and again in your life? Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for freedom, freedom to go over. Thank you for your presence that I believe are filling people as they respond yes to you today. God, help help us trust you. Help us trust you when things don't make sense. Help us trust you when it hurts. Help us trust you when it feels good. Help us trust you, Father. Help us know you more. Increase your presence in our lives, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. The elders and leaders of the church would like to pray for you. So if you have any prayer needs, um, please come on up here.